and welcome to Three Wise DMs, the podcast for three dungeon masters who've been doing this for way too long. Talk about all the things we do to try to make our games as good as they can be. I'm Thorne, and I'm joined by Tony. Like a virgin, touched for the very first time. Like a virgin, when your heart beats next to mine. Oh, 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 oh. yeah. I was there. I, I was debating I mean. whether I would do it uh, in falsetto or not. I decided against that. So well, Sounds good. Sounds good. <laughs> and, it's, and it's a great introduction to today's topic, because today we are talking about DMing first-time players. Because Dave has a, uh, well, he's got it. He does have a party of first-time players coming up, starting a new game. And we're going to talk about what do we do when we're DMing new first-time players. We, we've we all done quite a bit of it, actually. How we teach them the game, how we bring them on board and, and kind of start things off and get them ready to play a campaign of D&D. Dave, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you got going on? Yeah, so I was thinking, I kind of brought this idea up because... Bonnie has a group of girlfriends who have never played D&D. Uh, I think they might have heard the name and go, oh, that's, that's, I always want to see what that is. I want to play that. And um, and she asked if I would run a session. And I said, yeah, absolutely. That would be kind of cool. One, because it would be a completely all-female group. Uh, so that would just be interesting to see how that plays. Um, but two... Outside of Bond, they're all going to be newbies. And it looks like a, I'm, it's looking like a four-player game. So that'll be kind of fun, too, because it'll be nice to return to a, a smaller table a little bit, you know. But I think especially with people who are new to the game, because then I can give a little bit more one-on-one -on -one time. And, and things aren't in six, seven people all vying for attention at the same time, you know. Yeah, absolutely. I've often brought new players into games where it was like six, seven, eight people. It definitely runs a little better when it's smaller and you can kind of give everyone kind of, you can pay attention to what everyone's doing and trying to do and maybe what they're getting and not getting and kind of do a little more teaching of the game. Yeah, absolutely. And also just as a, as a second point of it, uh, because I'm sure some of our listeners will be interested in it, I did where I pitched my campaign. I gave them three ideas, one of which was, in essence, Rhyme of the Frost Maiden, and that's the one they all chose. They didn't choose the homebrew one, which sounded super cool, and they didn't choose, Lost in Lost. essence, I was going to run uh, Lost Minds of Fandelver. They didn't choose that one either, so... So we'll be running Icewind Dale. So as I was just telling you guys earlier, it's uh, for anyone who's opened that book, it, it's a tome, man. It's a tome. <laughs> so for their opening voyage into Dungeons & Dragons, you're taking this group on a survival <laughs> survival horror dude in the in the everlasting night that is um 10 towns at icewind dale and what's interesting like i was telling you guys uh oh i forget one of our listeners came in with the question uh they were running it and they were talking about it, and i made the point where uh this is very much like a lovecraftian john carpenter's the thing type of storyline so yeah it's pretty dark so I'm running Strahd with you guys, where it's always fucking nighttime. Now I'm going to be running Frostmaiden, where it's always fucking nighttime. <laughs> so, <laughs> and also do... you'll die in a blizzard or an avalanche. <laughs> You're going to want to do a Feywild campaign just to get eternal sunlight. Oh my god, I think I'm going to have to do some sort of high 
highly fantastical Harry Potter world after this, just gumdrops and, and, you know, whatever. So we'll see how it goes. We'll see how it goes. For all my years of playing D&D, I have not once done a campaign that started off in a wizard school. And it seems so obvious, and it's never uh-huh. happened. I have. Games. Have you? Well, you started one of your players off in one, right? Yes, sir. Like Session Zero Gaming? Oh, uh, yeah, Session uh, Zero Gaming that went on for like 18 sessions, sir. <laughs> what was that? That was uh, the, the Wizard Morgan started that, that one, right? was That was the original Morgan, who was a drow elf who was in the School of Necros, which was a dragon magazine, may have been a dungeon magazine mod, and it was basically the skeleton it had like you know it kept main characters in there and an idea and the concept was there was a school of there was two powerful necromancers that ran a university that was secrets and you had to basically find it and then once you a professional went to join you had to kill yourself and survive coming back from the dead and that's how you got <laughs> the school <laughs> that's pretty cool actually but i, I like the idea that, and I really packed it with some more details and some thought and expanded that universe, added a whole mess of professors. And I basically played out with him all the years he was at the school before he actually started. And he finally met Thor the, Thor the Barbarian when you were both uh, starting the, uh, your adventures. That's awesome. That's awesome. So when he was level two or three, let me tell you, he had worked for it. It wasn't like, hey, yeah, I got my hot dogs and look, got my relish, level three. Yeah. Oh, wait, old so ways. you were running a one-on-one so game okay. for like 18 sessions with this guy going through his it, wizard school to get just, to like second level? It was for a pot. No, because here's the thing. Earlier editions, we're getting way off topic, and I apologize. A little but, bit, yeah. Yeah. Because the player was not new either. No one in this situation was no, new. No, but they, t- in first and second edition D&D, they teased zero-level antics. Yeah. Where they kind of allowed you to go in there and really adventure before the adventure. And the concept was you were really a developed character before you hit the ground. The yeah. problem is you were not really a superhero in this time. You really were a person learning how to cast your first level spell and so forth and so on you know i love the idea and i do i could see it being fun for people who don't know how to play the game yet because you can kind of roll out certain mechanics one at a time right like here today you're getting your lesson in saving throws you know tomorrow you're getting your lesson in combat uh did, did you keep any of that do you have any of that around anymore any of those teachers and stuff uh yes uh you may remember I see. I, I tore a lot of ideas. Like I went from there were some Greyhawk supplements. I took the uh, Grandmaster from the Scarlet Brotherhood and got. Guess what? He's a teacher here. There you go. There's your physical education teacher. Have fun. Because it turned this from a group of just two archmages to basically like the Legion of Doom, and that it was like an evil superhero wizard college. <laughs> Uh, we got we got to put that together one of these days. That could be one of one of our future releases for Three Wise DMs. That'll go on the uh, that'll go on the Patreon. Yeah. How to take your character from zero to second level in eighteen quick sessions? <laughs> Dude, Wizard School. Wizard School goes on the Patreon, definitely. Uh, so, but okay, so bringing us back to the idea for to to what do we do when we're teaching new players the game? You know, it's uh, I find that one of the tricky things is 
just trying to get the mechanics over to them at the same time you may or may not be doing character creation. Like, how do you guys do that? Do you sit the, the new player down and have them make a character first, or do you have them kind of fool around, maybe do some mock combat just to see how it works? Well, in, if this was me doing this, I would basically take the approach and like, okay, what kind of character do you want? Okay, you're mm-hmm. interested in some of the cast spells. Great, here are some options. And I would tell you, how, I would basically assemble this character and not torture them with all the details. Like if they're picking it up, like bing, 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 great. Otherwise, I, my point is to give you a character sheet based on our conversation that works. We can discuss how we got there later with proficiencies and how you didn't have a con bonus, but you do have a charisma bonus, and this is how it affects your saving throws, and so forth and so on. Then you get to the opening session, and I would run a pretty straightforward session where everybody can get together and meet, have a reason to adventure, and, you know, have have a couple of scenario or two, a bit of and a touch of everything. A little bit of role play, maybe a skill challenge, a nice battle, and we're done. And it's like, you know, an introductory easy mode, so to speak. So you would basically, you start with character creation and then teach them the game in the first session, essentially? Yeah. They'd be like, okay, this is how combat works. And the video games do this all the time. Like, you show up, <laughs> you've got true. your sword, like, there, select the monster, press attack. That's very true. I mean, that's a, that's a hallmark of your RPGs, uh, computer and console style, right? <clears throat> Are those tutorial boards, in essence. Yeah. This is yeah. how yeah, your certainly. spells work. Oh, yeah, you've cast this one spell. You're going to need to rest to recharge this spell, so forth and so on. I just remember, I can think of all the games I've played, all the video games I've played where it goes in that way. And then there's always like a couple of the of the tutorial things I didn't pay any attention to. Like, I think in the beginning, like with Witcher, there were things where there, like Witcher 3, there were certain things I didn't learn to like halfway through the game because I did them in the opening tutorial board and I didn't remember them. <laughs> and I had to yeah. relearn them because eventually it got too hard for me to advance without them. Oh, uh, geez, yeah. So, I mean, I had done, like I have said in previous episodes, when uh, we started the Pathfinder campaign, that was a little different because as we did in a, in a previous episode, we did how do you kind of bootstrap your first session or how do you DM your first session yeah. if you're new? And this is kind of an extension upon that. So now you're a little more experienced under your belt and you got new people at the table. So with the Pathfinder one, I kept it real simple. So I ran the, the sample uh, adventure that they had given uh, in the in their game master's guide, and I had handed out four pregens that came with it. You know, there's the four legendary heroes that they have, and that was an easy way to hand them this thing, and then we can start playing with the mechanics. Yeah. Um, this is going to be different this time around, so I'm not doing any kind of pregens because, as we've talked about, character creation. There's something about it. It's it's fun. It there's something about it. There's something about rolling Agreed. dice. There's something about it character coming to to form in front of you so we're going to be doing character creation at the session so i'm in essence gonna run a session zero like a a real one not just a virtual one like we mostly done but like literally okay here we go here's the campaign let's start making some characters so i have some ideas about that but we're going to create um the characters and then i'm going to take them through the kind of beginning of the 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 story and there's a there's like one encounter that hopefully we can get through just so you have that one encounter kind of like thorin you did with uh the authors group uh woodstock for the first session we made characters 
and then we got into Woodstock, and then we finally yeah. got to kill a giant boar, you know? And I know you had even said it during the you were like, I'd like to get to at least one comment, because there's something about that, right? There's some sense of a accomplishment with that. You've achieved something. After, in the, after the boar encounter? Yeah, so we, we, we cut did. it after that, yeah. We had actually returned, because we got our asses handed to us. So we returned... And then the second session, that's when you introduce Scott's wizard has been, because right. then he was joining us for that second session. So it kind of worked out <laughs> in that way. But yes, yeah, so that's how we're going to do it this time. We're going to be, uh, I'm going to have character creation at the table. Thankfully, I have Bonnie with me so she can kind of assist in that way, yeah. you know, as a player as well. You know, I think you have, there's a couple choices you make when you bring in a new player, especially when you're bringing in new players, about how can you go about this. The first one is, do you want to teach them the system first, or do you want to teach them, or do you want to start with character creation? And right. teaching them the system can be interesting. Like, I actually just saw, there's a meme going around right now on, on Facebook, which is, you know, okay, you know, the, the player says to the DM, I'm bringing a new player, doesn't know how to play it. Great, bring them in. DM sets the new player down and says, okay, so we're not going to worry about too much right now. I'm just going to give you a character sheet, and you're going to you're, you're just going to go in and fight, try to kill as many things as you can. And the new player says, oh, cool, I get to play a Tarask. And the new player is basically playing the Tarask against the other players. All he has to do is to learn how to roll and to hit and to deal damage and get hit. Insane. It's actually Tarask's hillbilly cousin, the Tarask. The Tarask, that's right. I mean, there's a Tarask down there, boy. Yeah, good luck figuring out how to say that the first time you see it. I mean, it looks like Tarasku. Tarasku. Yeah, is this French? Ooh, this is some sort of French character. And he's fighting with a, a trebuchet. Very dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> There's another way to do it, which is you give everyone a character sheet or maybe everyone a monster, and you just let them say, okay, you're in, a, you're in an arena. You each take a turn. You're each rolling attacks. You're each making actions, and just let them get a feel for that. And they don't always – recall is always the problem with a new player. Well, it's always the challenge. I'm always thinking about how can I not just show them how this works but try to get them to remember it. And it does work a little better, I find, to start them with the character than to start yeah. them with mechanics, even yeah. though the mechanics would be fun. Depends on your group. You know, if you have a group of people who kind of just want to fight, throw them in with some monsters. Let them see how the game works. If you have a group of people who are very story and character driven, let them make the character they want to play. Then they'll get into it. Then you roll, which is what I did with the writer's group. Because the writer's group, that is a very story driven group in a lot of ways. Don't let them make their characters. Let them introduce the characters. Let them explore the city a little bit. And then get them in one, just try to get them in a fight so we can get into those mechanics before we leave. So that's that's the first choice. And the second choice, the big choice, I think, is do you let them make their own characters or do you start with pre-gens? Many systems really say you should just give new players pre-gens, but a lot of players get into it when they can make their own characters. So that's exactly. another thing you got to decide, and that affects how you're going to go about this. You know, exactly. Are you starting with characters and mechanics, and are you starting with pre-gens or letting them create their own character? And between those kind of two things, you have a few different variations of how you can go about rolling a new player into the game. Yeah, personally, yeah. I'm not a fan of pre-gens. No thank no. you. Yeah, no, you said you, you hate them, right? You never play them. Hate. I mean, I wouldn't say I hate it as much as making maps, but <laughs> I mean, cause that's a special level of circle of hate I have for that. Um, but I have never looked at a character, and I completely agree with Dave. There is magic in this. Like they, I've seen, I, I've even looked at like a, the core of the Call of Cthulhu supplements, where they showed you, like they basically gave you a pre-gen and had ver it was very inflexible on how it was done when you're yeah. doing the character creation. And I didn't like that because the real magic is taking your mind, making a character from your imagination, bringing it into that world, and go. You're writing your own script. 
you know, I totally agree. Yeah. That's that's really how I feel about role-playing games. But the idea of pre-gen characters is all over all the systems. Like, the game designers and a lot of players do seem to think, okay, the characters just give me a pre-gen and I'll roll it through. I want to make my own dude. You know, I well, want to make someone I can play. Here's the big difference. And, Thorne, I'm actually going to name what you said was the first choice you can, what, you know, the first way you can go with it. That's the Street Fighter mode, right? Like, <laughs> here's, here's a controller you know, you're Baraka, go, right? And then you just kind of learn it as you go. So we're, we're calling that the Street Fighter method. That's happening. I will say, so it kind of depends on what you want your first session to be. And this is one of the things I'm actually wondering how this is going to go down because I have three people that haven't played. So this could be easily a one and done because they are they see this is D&D and maybe it's for them. Maybe it's not. Who knows, right? No pressure, Dave. No, <laughs> tell me about it. I really felt it, though. But what I'm what I'm getting at there, so what that allows with pregens is, because I remember when we got together the first time for uh, that Pathfinder campaign, my one friend Dave, who was playing, because he's a nerdy guy, too. I was like, hey, dude, you want to play? We're going to get together. Cool. All right. He didn't realize it was going to be such a long session. You know, we like we were going to get together to play a game, well, shit, you play a game for two hours, and okay, I'll see you, mm, see you next that's week. That's a good point. Right? And we're like four hours deep, and we're still like in the fucking dungeon. So if that's the case, if you have a window of time, you're getting people together, you're introducing them, pregens come in because it lets you hit the ground immediately. You can just start. You don't have to, okay, let's roll some dice. Okay, what's your name? What's your background? What's your skills? What you know now there is magic to that, but you are investing time, and you know the payoff may or may not be there. But I think that character creation is super fun for the players as well. So we're gonna go with it this time, like this, you know. Well, I mean, but, yeah. you know, it lets you hit the ground running by just being like, here you are. Valoros, the fighter, you know? Yeah, but you hit the ground running in Bob's shoes. You know, you don't, you don't uh -huh, hit the ground uh -huh. running in your shoes. You're hitting the ground running in Bob's shoes, someone else's Absolutely. shoes. Absolutely. And I, and Absolutely. I do think, you know, when I think of even from the beginning in Woodstock Wanderers, which was a group where most of the players were new to, everyone was new to fifth edition. A lot of the players were new to role playing in general. Some players who weren't hadn't played in like decades. So, I mean, there was a lot of, in a lot of ways, this was a new, this was a newbie kind of group. And everyone immediately really did get very much into their characters, you know, from the ranger, the paladin. Actually, in fact, the newer players almost got more into their characters than the other players. Like, they're all very character. They're both, the, the, the two players who had never touched anything before were both very character focused. Absolutely. You know? And it helped, too, because you had, like, I was there and Bon was there, and we had both played some 5th edition prior to that. So I already came with my character half done. Yeah. So I could easily roll in my stats and then be done so that I could be there to, oh, hey, uh, Tom, you know, it's it's in this page. You have to cho choose this or this. You know, that's a big help, thing. too. Because, yeah, so many, you were rolling out to, yeah. seven players, I think, with that yeah. first uh, session zero, you know. Those seven are rookie players, numbers. I believe only like, one set of books. <laughs> you got to bump up those rook numbers? Yeah, like, no, please. <laughs> I've, had, I've had standing room only games. That, that was some crazy <laughs> stuff. <laughs> A little easier in second edition. It was second edition, of course. Actually, I'm kind of envious in some respect, Dave, because really you have an opportunity where these players, or most of them, haven't 
seen any of these trips at all. So if they're into the game and they're into the system, anything you're putting down, they're picking up. Hey, like, hey, I, like so the first fine. encounter we're going to do is going to be like, there's just some goblins and things like that. Like, that's going to be like, oh, my God, goblins. Where it's like, okay, we got to go through the goblins and some and other group. Yeah, right? Like, oh, my God. Wait, they have bows? Oh, my God. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There's rat killing, and then there's rat killing the first time you killed a rat, right? Yeah, that was really exciting, that first. <laughs> rats, man. I still yeah. like a good goblin hunt. I don't care. I don't care. I like good goblin hunt. Goblin hunt. Speaking as a player of a bugbear, that's very dehumanizing. <laughs> you were goblinoid. That's different. Uh, <laughs> the uh, true. Uh, it's very unclear how exactly bugbears do relate to goblins in the D&D. Yeah, dude, the I, they don't. It's like... No, they're in there. They, they live in goblin wars. They're goblins of some sort. No, I don't really get it. Kind of, uh, they need some kind of muscle, because like you know, I mean, there's only so much that like Yark the goblin can like you know uh, intimidate you with. So you need some dude rolling up just about to beat him with a club. Yeah, Yark's actually a famous goblin name. That's kind of hilarious. Is it Yark? I think he was one of the ones we fought in Storm Kings, actually. I feel like, I don't know. Then it was reused. It appeared in a dungeon magazine eons ago. Okay, way off topic. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. So that's, you know, how we feel kind of about the character creation side of things. But are you going to guide them at all? Into, we, we've talked before about what is the best character class uh, for a new player. Great question, man. Are you great. going to guide them or are you going to kind of let them go and to pick what they want to pick? Four wizards. Four <laughs> yeah, wizards. Right. I'm yeah, in. No. No wizards. The only person that could be a wizard I'll allow is Bonnie. No, I mean, like we talked about, and Thorne, you wrote the article, and it, it's a great point because as we saw with Woodstock, um, our one player that chose a ranger chose something that was, you know, there's a lot of stuff to that. And if you don't necessarily know what's happening with the system and with D&D in general, you're going to be just like... Uh, what what do I what do I do? Um, so yeah, the idea of there are certain classes. Oh, you want us cast spells? Hey, what do you think about sorcerer instead of wizard, right? Or you know, warlock or something. Or hey, do you want to be a, maybe a, maybe a barbarian or a champion fighter, right? Uh, but we'll see what they bring to the table. Like I said, I pitched the campaign. They chose uh, frost maiden, so we're going with that. And I threw out here's races. Here's classes. Start thinking about who you're who you're gonna be, and then we'll get into the nitty gritty of it when we get to the table. So we'll see what they bring, what they what their thoughts are. Maybe yeah, I'll just have four pointers. That'll be so, easy. If it's four many, pointers, many I'll let them all be Goliaths at least, so that they at least have a chance. <laughs> yeah, I do think the next time I start a new campaign, I definitely want to do session zero character creation. Like I don't even know if I want PL. I, I kind of like the idea now because we've done it a few times. We've done it a lot of times, but I kind of like the idea of letting characters, the players, come in and know what each other's playing. Because I feel like you almost get you get more out of a conjoined kind of a group backstory than you do out of do people reveal their secret backstories over time you yeah know, so i would kind of love to have the players come in and make some things that kind of together and think about okay what are we are we a gang are we a band do we not know each other do we come from the same neighborhood like how do they fit together in the session zero because i think you know it's more fun and i've actually found this in video games right it's kind of more fun when you kind of got the the, the group of friends than just the group of random strangers who came together just randos rolling in on you. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, you happen to be at the bus stop. I will die for you. 
<laughs> right, right. I mean, you just met each other. I it's am like interested to see if it does kind of. It, I want to see if it kind of starts to percolate like that, where they start to talk to each other as characters are creating, like, ooh, hey, maybe we can be uh, long lost brothers or something, you know, that type of thing, where they start to build this party right from the gate. Uh, so I'm kind of excited to see how how that runs if if that happens. Yeah, I, I really have in my mind that I want to try to create more of that the next time I start a new game even because it's like it just feels like that's a really valuable thing to have. The, if the characters start talking to each other and they're role playing amongst each other, that seems like it makes a better game than if it's always the DM role playing with character X or Y and trying to push the role play from your side of the table. Mm. Yes, yeah, some of the best character dialogue is going to happen in a party. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's good enough. I think it's worth trying to go out of your way to create a little bit because you're not going to see ideal role play if it's one, maybe two players, and the DM doing all the role play, where you have like two or more players just floating. Yeah. Well, that's yeah, that's gonna be that's another big part when you got new people at the table because they are new to the idea of role playing too. Right. Um, yeah. Probably, unless I don't know, maybe you have some improv group you're a member of, and you, they all decide to play D and D, and then it's this fucking masterful who's, stroke who, of genius. Which one right? is it? <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, Colin Mockery is not going to be sitting down at my table and neither is Wayne Brady. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I mean, Jeff so Goldblum did just join a podcast, so. <laughs> Jeff Goldblum did just join a D&D &D podcast. Oh, so apparently I'm sorry. Sorry. The Grand Master. Oh, yes, I think. Right? Yeah, no, he looks, they haven't come out yet, but it sounds awesome. No, I, read uh, a, I read a short article about it, and they're saying the guy who, I think the, the creator of it, um, maybe the DM, I'm not sure, he's saying Goldblum is a complete badass with it. So yeah. I, I'm, I can't wait to see what, what comes from this. I don't know anything about that group, but uh, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, the, the idea of role playing and that first time that I speak, especially me, I speak in characters a lot. So that first time I look at them and go, you know, I, what are you doing? You know, and they're just, well, am I going to get the deer in headlights thing? You know, and then coaxing that out. And that's OK, because I even have had that with people who have played before, too, where it's just like, I'm, I'm not sure what to do with this. You know, my old DM didn't do that. Why, why are you doing that? <laughs> So I guess, you know, do you uh, do you have any tips on how to get new players more into the role play side of things? I just start talking to them. I just start talking to them and I will allow I've done it before where I've you know called out to the, the party from across the way. You know, the, you know, the old dwarf shield dwarf guard woman calls out to them from, and I'll allow that weird silence to sit for a couple seconds. And, uh, you know, and then at that point, I'm like, do you want to respond at all? And then I'll change it to a more uh, descriptive thing. Okay, what would you like to do about it? Oh, well, I, I, can I walk over to him? Yeah, absolutely. And, and uh, in the same way that you're, you're doing it for players, even if you play with for years, you throw it out there. Not everyone is going to talk in character and be role-playing and theatric and sing songs. There are going to be some. Not everyone is going Nobody to, wants to hear me start sing. to... <laughs> yeah, you start to learn how how to approach those. But you at least for me, I always give the opportunity with them. And I'll start right from the get go with that, too, because I'm a bit more of a dramatic style. I think I'd throw them an initiative order and be like, on the left, go. The person's talking to you. Uh, uh, uh OK, next person. What do you got? <laughs> <laughs> it's like cool. a verbal attack. And again, I have a secret weapon, right? Because I have an experienced player who knows my style at the table. 
so that will help because they you, they will see that that is oh you can respond in that way oh okay well i would like to tell the person i would like to talk to the guard captain and say uh you know ask him about his shoes you know oh okay well he, you know he spits on you and says don't talk to me about my shoes or something you know whatever <laughs> and then you know if you can get them laughing and and over a little bit of themselves hopefully they start to to build on that but it helps you know like i said if i have a secret weapon at the table i don't know that i'd start them in a big town i'd keep it simple one location couple places not too many npcs i wouldn't drop them in Greyhawk. that's for freaking sure Oh, yeah, yeah. That's funny. That's, that's exactly where I started one of my first games. The, the, mm-hmm. They were in the city of Greyhawk. Yeah, no, you you're in a cre- I mean, not if not if they're first time players. There's mm. too much happening there. And my like, guess what, guys? You're buried in freaking details. Have fun. Like you could go on a tour of just the city, and that could be the game. Like Spider Man in the game where he's like going around New York sightseeing and taking pictures. <laughs> that could be your whole first session and a half. I think what I actually did is immediately got them into a quest outside of town somewhere. Or maybe there was something in town, but I know I, I got them into a quest pretty quickly. Like, I, I find, like, one of the things I want to do with new with a new party... Keep them out of town modules? <laughs> town modules. Because they suck. <laughs> they can explore the town some, but they're going to be on the... They're, they're going to get a quest pretty quickly, is the way I tend to do things. And not only that, oftentimes when you have new players, like we're talking about, one thing, they're not going to necessarily understand role play. And one of the things that's going to bring is they're not going to understand the nature of I can go anywhere and do anything. So they're not going to necessarily just be like, I would like to go into that fourth house on the left. Who's in there? Can I knock on the door? So I'm going to, because uh, like I said, they are starting in Bryn Shander um, for several reasons that we don't need to go into super detail about. But they're starting, which is the largest city in 10 towns. So it's yeah. exactly what Tony is saying. It's a fucking nightmare. It's like putting them in water deep. You know, <laughs> it's just it's the water deep of Icewind Dale. But there is going to be a very quick quest plot that comes up, you know, and for new players. I was thinking about this today. There is a lot to be said about putting those training wheels on for the first couple sessions and say, Here's the thing, go do it. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, and if they decide to then make some different decisions, allow that. But give them the, hey, here's a thing, here's a shiny thing that you can go do. You know, because at least it gives them some level of focus. So I'm thinking back to when we did the authors group, and that is not at all how I did that. <laughs> I mean, maybe I did everything wrong, but... No, not at all. You no, had, and a, actually, quest. And I'll, you I'll had this, a quest. I'll tie this back into my tip in a second. But as I remember, the authors game started in this wood, the, the town called Woodstock. It was a company town, like a mining town, logging town. So very, very business. But I also had, I did actually write up what was in the town as far as like kind of what were the consumer locations, what were the bars... And if I remember correctly, some of the characters had things to do. A lot of them like stumbled into the first roadhouse outside of town, which is actually a luxury establishment because like a lot of like uh, business people stayed there. And they kind of slowly got together and got to know each other and eventually found their way to the constable who offered them a uh, you know, go find these kidnapped miners or loggers yeah. quest. So they actually I did start them in a town. I did let them wander around town. I did that in part because I wanted them to understand they had that freedom. 
and they weren't constantly on rail. So I wanted them to kind of go through the town and ask some questions and do a little talking. I think one trick to make that work, and I think it worked okay. One trick to make that work is to try to connect with the things you know they like to do, that you know they're going to think about doing. Like people are often going to go into a bar or into a store or into the, you know, or, or, or into the inn and, and kind of have a chat. And if you know they're going to do those things, you can just kind of make sure you, ha- you know what's going to happen there. Yeah. Uh, the difference there is, and I think part of what Tony's getting at, <clears throat> and he's not incorrect, is Woodstock is a tiny little town. It's a mining outpost that's grown yeah. up around it, right? It's Tombstone, Arizona, right? Well, it's bigger. It's actually pretty big, but it's not like it's not, not, it's not like there's a million things. Right. It's not the city of Waterdeep, right? It's not the city of Grail. It's not this massive, sprawling metropolis. It's a small hamlet. Right, which is much more, because uh, then there's less things to do. You know, there's a smithy, there's an inn, there's a tavern, blah, blah, blah. Okay, here's a quest or a jobs board. Where with Bryn Shander, it is a massive town. But again, I'm I'm counting on the fact that they're probably not going to be just, let's just go everywhere. No. But we'll see. If they do, then I'll... I'll create an encounter. And, and I'd actually, I'd actually say they're almost certainly not going to do that. And that's kind of the point I was making. Cause like there were, there, there were actually a bunch of things to do in Woodstock and the party got into some of them, but like, you know, it's just really a matter of giving them the space to explore, to understand they are exploring. And then you give them a quest that they go, that they can go follow if they want. And the funny thing is if they don't go to follow that quest, so long as you can get them all together, whatever they want to do becomes their quest. Yeah. You know, okay, yeah. we want to we want to go rob a house. Okay, all right, we're doing a house. We're 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 doing a uh, burglary, ink adventure now, and you can just kind of roll with that and let them fuck around with it because at first level, anything they do at first level is a little bit of a shit. You know, anything they do is an encounter that will get them yeah. to second level. Because holy shit, right? I mean, <laughs> like, what do you have to do? Like nothing, you know. I mean, as Mike Shea says, a stern conversation going, yeah. is going to be done to the Benny Hill theme. You know, <laughs> that's <laughs> I, first level for you. <laughs> Yeah, that's where our styles are really different because that's more like a, hey, I have an open area. Let's go see what happens versus where I wouldn't say I would never introduce them to a large town early on. But like if I was doing that, my point would be, I'm like, okay, this is the big apple of the Dungeons and Dragons world. You're coming here. You're trying to make a name for yourself. That's kind of what I did with Magnesia. You guys came to a big, fantastic city and you guys were nobodies. You were travelers and you came here you're trying to get citizenship and you want to prove yourselves and work your way in and that was okay but even that i felt like i mean the real adventure of dungeons and dragons isn't within city walls right it can be there is some intrigue you can get into the dynamics but now as a dm now you're fleshing out all these details oh here's the thieves mm-hmm. guild the wizards guild the beggars guild who's the who are the lords and ladies and who's the movers and shakers and if you're prepared to drop all that stuff knock yourself the hell out but i prefer to give you a, a village with a couple of people in it and a quest and go out there and go to the quest well it yeah, depends how I, self, uh, it depends like 17 how maps. the players are like that's it depends are, 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 are they are they the play? Are they players who come in with okay, my character has this motivation and wants to do this? Because you have some players, even new players, who'll come in and be like, "I'm a thief. All right, I want to go rob somebody. Uh, I, I see this. This someone looks rich at the bar. I'm going to go try to steal his, his pick his pocket." Like, if yeah. you have highly self-directed players like that, letting them find their way into adventures can be a lot of fun, and it can help engage them because they're doing, you know, they're they're basically leading the way, and they can get more engaged that way. If you if if you're not sure if you do, yeah, putting them right on the right right on the railroad is not a bad way to go. Well, here's part of what I was what I'm what I'm thinking of too, because as as 
I do with pretty much any campaign I'm running, I <clears throat> I do different things. I start to experiment. I start to go, ooh, what if we did it this way, right? So like I'm saying, we're doing the session zero. And part of what I'm setting it up as is I did the campaign pitch. So we know what we're playing, generally speaking, at least. You know, I still don't think they completely understand the you know, horrific survival cyclopean nightmare that it could turn into. But hey, <laughs> that's D&D, &D, right? Um, but when we get together, we're going to start with character creation. But what we're going to start with is I am going to spread out the map of Icewind Dale. I, am, mm. I have a whole beginning thing of it's what they if you open the book for anybody that has it, it's the cold open. And in essence, it's like a little paragraph that kind of sets the stage of this is the world as it sits, right? It's the little thing as the credits are rolling to give a sense of what are we looking at? We're looking at this world in perpetual night. There's some sort of curse, blah, blah, blah. Things are happening. Now let's build some characters. And as that's happening, what I'm hoping to be able to do is one, have them cross talking. Ooh, what are you doing? Well, what if we did that? Ooh, what are we? Yeah. But also helping to guide to almost like the character creation is them beginning to explore this world and town already in a way. Like, okay, your person, oh, did they come from here or are they from somewhere else? You know, and f maybe filling in some details and fleshing it out so when they come with a full character at the end of that time, oh, well, now we can start the adventure because we kind of have a sense of where we are now. So I'm, I don't know if it's going to work, but... That's one of the, my hopes with it, my plan at least. No, I, I like that idea. And this, that's why I'm kind of leaning towards a more, like I said, next time I start a new game, I'm leaning towards more of a cooperative session yeah. zero and talk together about who you want to be. Because, you know, what I'd be looking to get out of that is to get a feel for what they want these characters to do and be able to work that in a bit. Because that'll also let you know, okay, if you put them in an open situation in a town in Bryn Shandar, what are they going to go for? Because you're going to get that if you see how they put the character together. Because you can find out, okay, this player chose a fighter. What are they? Why do they? You can hear why they yeah. chose to be a fighter and what excites them about that. This player chose to be an artificer. You can hear what excites them about that. And then you can start. You know, like then you start to know when you put them in an open situation, which way are they going to go? And yeah. that's kind of that gives you that lets you in that lets you open it up, but not be totally clueless because you get a sense for who these characters are too. It makes me think of when you talk about how when, uh, you know, when you're running a game and you will have something that needs to happen and some planning or some decisions, you will drop this stuff out and then you'll go make a pot of coffee or you'll get up and go to the bathroom or whatever. And the whole time you're listening because they're telling you pretty much everything you need to know as to where to go next, right? <laughs> and I'm hoping that this kind of helps to create in the character creation uh, part of it, that same type of uh, eavesdropping, as it were. <laughs> Honestly, I'm not even always listening. Sometimes I am, but giving the party a chance to talk about what do we want to do together and, and when they understand that you're going to come back and I got to tell you what they're doing, it, it lets them get to another level. And it lets them figure out what they want to do, which is, to me, what I really want the game to be about. Well, I mean, you can, in the opening session, you give them one place, one mission. That's pretty safe. In the next one, I recommend perhaps, or rather suggest, you put a couple ideas out there. Yeah, what do you do going for? So we talk, we're talking about the session zero. Cool. What about session one? Session two? There's still new players. Where do we go with that? 
right? Session one should have a pretty, if we're talking about who's going to go on the rails, I recommend some rails in session one, especially for very new players. You don't want to, like, this is the world. Go forth, go look at everything. Feel free to go into a shop and I'm going to describe to you what's on the rack. And you can go in this guy's drawers. We can discuss the contents of their drawers. How, how about we've got some key points, you know, scene transitions, some dialogue, some plots, some maybe later plot teasers, and a battle. And then you can <laughs> see what this party gravitates towards. Mm. Some people are going to talk like themselves the entire game. They're not going to get it. And that's a big thing, too, Tony, is that with DMing new players, especially when you're coming to a table with people you don't really even know on a personal level at all. So you have no idea what their their drive is going to be, what's going to inspire them in the game. You know, like we talked about the different types of players. You have no idea what these people are. So there has to be that time to find out. So like you said, giving all of these, you know, little bits and see what really, uh, you know, gets them going. Bonnie's definitely a role player. You're not going to suck her into combat super easily. She's like, <laughs> yay, combat. She's like, yay. Well, again, that might turn. I, I have no issue with that turning into almost like a party leader type of role, at least in the beginning, uh, either, because at least it gives somewhat of a key point. I even was thinking of repeating somewhat what I did with Strahd and in essence having her hire the party for something, you know, and in essence kind of be the patron in a way who's maybe working for another patron. Or Thor, like you did with Erasmus, I believe, yeah. right? He in essence hired the party because he was the court magician and that, 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 and all of that. Erasmus yeah. is, a fa is essentially a government middle manager who had to hire, <laughs> hire the party to go to go deal with a goblin problem, if I remember. He's correctly. Agent Phil Coulson. Well, it was like uh, the, the, the reward was like 500 gold pieces. The king, like like the, the archmage gave him a thousand gold. Here, go deal with this. <laughs> and he was, he's like from the We're the Millers. And he's like, yeah, I can give you 500. Wait, you're getting 500,000 and I'm only getting 10? Wait, you guys are getting paid? It's like Phil Gandalf. <laughs> in most of my games by that level i don't quite know where we're going yet so like for instance the really the gadanathwa the malbion all that stuff of woodstock wanderers i put together a little bit later mm -hmm. based on it was how you guys were exploring that world and also i kind of set up the description of what the town was you were starting in and then the rest kind of grew out of that because I was like, all right, well, I have questions about this. And the questions led me to the, well, what what is going on beneath the surface that causes things to be this way? So that was a little bit, you know, I wasn't quite sure where you guys were going to head. I didn't expect you to be in the woods for like, you know, 10 levels straight <laughs> at that time. I thought you were going to head home at some point. Of course, someone could have seen that you were going to get, you know, destroyed by the red caps and Onwards. You know, kidnapped. <laughs> Yeah, that, that, that's when you guys really kind of lost sight of home. Was like, okay, how do we get back now? I don't know. <laughs> and then away you went. It was Mr. Toad's wild ride. But I, I do like to let the party kind of find their own way a bit and figure out what they want to do and fill into that more than direct, hey, here's the quest, to an extent. Well, Tony, you've kind of made this a similar point. I mean, even if it's not new players, right? Even if just any players when they're starting the first game. So there is a corollary here where... Like, we just finished up Storm King. So we don't start... We're all experienced players. Cool. And we all still have level one characters. So we're starting in Nightstone against goblins. We're not going and fighting a Storm Giant, even though he's on the front cover. Right? So even with new players, it's, it, it's similar. <laughs> yeah, right? You got to let it breathe a little bit, you know? Well, 
when you, you have a bunch of experienced players like that, then if you want to take the opportunity, like, okay, guys, here's a city, go explore. That I think I'd be more favorable to. Because you've got a party, they know what they're doing, even if their characters do not, and they may be more interested in exploring more of the corners of the map than another player who's got the shakes looking around this town going, ah, uh, what the F am I supposed to be doing? Why are we shopping? <laughs> I very clearly remember I was, Thorne was running a game, and he threw like three options out there, and a couple of players in the party didn't want to do any of them. And I'm like, all right, then what are we doing, guys? Like, I'm trying to, like, you know, trying to, it's like trying to herd the cats. Uh, I'm like, all right, so so you don't want to do A, B, or C. So someone's got a really cool D idea? No? <laughs> Cricket, how have... about A? They're like, well, I'm like, they what else tavern, do uh, They're at the tavern ordering the eggplant. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> You know, you got to the players, the players have to want to do something, you know, and I believe in that game. It's not like they didn't have plot threads and quests open like it wasn't there were some choices, but it wasn't like there was nothing in front of them to do. You know, I could understand that the DM had given them nothing to do, but there were things to do. Like there was a quest ongoing that they had decided they wanted to go another direction from. And I was like, OK, here's a bunch of stuff. What do you want to do? Still nothing. eh? Uh, all right. <laughs> Give me some character motivation. From my experience, too, if people are new to it, though, that's going to be less of an issue because they're going to jump at doing something because they know we're supposed to be doing something. And whatever <laughs> that is, is going to be cool, right? We're supposed to do something because we're playing this game where the more experienced players can be like, oh, well, you know, the goblin warren. I've, I've cleared out so many goblin warrens, you know, give me something fancier kind of thing. So... Uh, so I feel like that might be a little less in uh, with with noob noobs, you know. Well, then that's when you just attack the party. Like they're sitting around, they're drinking, you know. That's when the thieves come in, cracking their knuckles, you know, and then they're looking to roll them. There's I don't nothing know. wrong with bringing the fight to the party who wants to, who doesn't, who can't decide what fight to go to. Yeah, or no problem. I'll, I'll I'll just move this encounter over. It's okay. It's gonna happen <laughs> in the end, first floor. Let's thieves, thieves, they do have a use. The flyby dragon attack. I mean, there's sometimes where an ogre will just kind of, he just randomly stumbles into an Applebee's. What are you going to do, man? <laughs> and he's hammered. Ramps? Oh, my God, Steve. He's just put it through a wall. I mean, you want to see players get, get, get motivated? Tell them two of them are missing their coin purses. Oh, hey, now. Yeah, you're in the bar and you go to settle up and you don't know what happened. Your, your, your gold's gone. Your coin purses are gone. You don't know why. You find the string still attached to your belt and cut. That's actually a very good trick. I mean, that's one uh, along that whole venue is if the players aren't like, where's my motivation? I'll be in my trailer. Be like the, the protagonist is directly fucking with you. There you yeah. go. And that will that is that is really like the, the I wouldn't say it's a nuclear option, but that's like, you know, that that's a blockbuster bomb break into their house like you got some interest i'm gonna go screw with your interest now and sometimes you should have to dig around for that but if you do you're hitting the beehive with a stick and then you know it's a trick they'll, they'll roll with it yeah They've, they, i've never seen it not work i mean the other reason I, I i prefer at low levels especially with new players to kind of get them to want to do something to kind of be a little more self-directed is because you you get the chance to to 
remind them to be more self-directed, to get them to to start the game from that point of view, that, okay, I am this character and I'm deciding what this character does more than just following, being pulled along by the DM. So I that's the other reason I like doing it that way. And if you can kind of play with that, if you can make the things you're doing kind of hit that character's interest directly rather than just be, well, hey guys, there's a villain out there. You want to go find out about him? I, I think it leads to a better style of game where the players are a little more invested in what the characters are doing rather than just feeling like, okay, we're playing out the story. Mm. I would definitely go with good characters. First mm. time around, I, as I've, I've also discussed my, my many disdains, you know, big towns that I have to create myself, too many maps, and <laughs> chaotic neutral mercenaries. I'm like, I want to play this character that doesn't give a shit about anybody or thing. Oh, so you're like yourself in real life in Dungeons and Dragons. This is going to fucking suck. <laughs> but seriously, how about attack your interests? You don't care about anything. I, I can't motivate you and get paid. That gets old eventually. It's like... You're, yeah, so when you say good characters, you don't mean that they're good quality-wise. You mean good aligned characters. I would prefer good characters, too. If someone comes up and goes, here's my backstory. It's five pages long. That's fantabulous. At least one poem. Yeah, at least one poem, a oh, sonnet, yeah. a comic book. Yeah. So you're, so, so you're meaning you're looking for people that are looking to be adventurers and heroes, in essence, yeah. right? I know that's some crazy shit. I mean, yeah. you know, in Dungeons and Dragons, but. No, no, I'm just, I'm just clarifying the point, though. But yeah, I think that that definitely, I mean, it definitely fits. You can play campaigns for, you know, for mercenary bands, and you can do it for pirates and for evil campaigns and stuff, but probably not the best thing to try to do with, with newbies. <laughs> yeah. We don't know what the hell's going on. You well, know? If you're doing it with newbies, you're going to need to really think about what does it mean? Because you mentioned one that does work, pirates. Pirates can work. You could have a whole Treasure Island type of setup with pirates, but oh, you kind of have to know what it means about what those characters' motivations are going to do and what they're going to respond to from you, the DM. You know, if, if your players aren't good, especially new players where they don't really know what they can do with the system... That is one of the things that can lead to, I mean, new player playing chaotic neutral or or like some kind of evil, that is generally the player who just wants to hang out in the tavern and order beer. Like right. that is what leads to that. So new players either have, it is, I agree totally with Tony here, better if they're good, if they're not good, make sure their characters have strong motivations and that you know how you're going to trigger them and get them to do stuff because that is... The character who the, the the new player who's first time in D and D plays chaotic neutral tends to be the player who will kind of order the eggplant in the bar. You know, no. the, the, the player who doesn't want to leave that's that tends to be the player who might pull the well, I'm a thief and I'm just trying to hide from the party all game. So you kind of got to see that coming in. You know, uh, you you can you know, well, why do they pick that alignment? You know, is that because they have a really good strong character reason, or just because they don't want to give a fuck in the game? If you have a new player who's got to learn the game and it simultaneously does not want to give a fuck about the game, you you can see this is you're going to need to make sure you can pull them along stronger somehow. Mm. You have your own version of Mr. McSteely over there, and they're like, hey, I'm catacutral. <laughs> I'm going to screw my party members over. And, you know, that was in an article, too. But yeah. uh, if you're playing catacutral <laughs> properly one of two things are happening. You're the charming cast of Pirates of the Caribbean where you're constantly effing each other open over, and it seems to be okay for some reason because it's one complete circle of everyone getting screwed over by each other. The code. Or, the code. Yeah. <laughs> the, co the code of effing your friends over or 
B, you have one player who's doing exceptionally well, and you want to take him outside in the parking lot and beat the crap out of him. <laughs> yeah, no one can no one can win too much in a chaotic neutral adventure. Yeah, you know, that gets on fun. Well, the, the character type is is utter, and I don't want to say it's utterly random. You have somebody who you want to like, but you can't count on them. They're literally completely unreliable. They only give a shit about themselves. Don't you want to, have to travel with this person? They're great. I mean, and even Captain Jack Sparrow, he's actually... So in the lore of Pirates of the Caribbean, uh, supposedly the reason he has that mark on him is because he, he refused to trade in slaves. So even he's kind of a chaotic good character, sort of. Well, he got that from selling a, the, the no, one evil he, captain. No, no. His, his deal was it was a, um, it was a slave ship that he basically he freed the slaves instead of selling. And that's, that's how David Jones got after him. It's something to do with that. That's strange. Cause he looks like he'd sell his mother for a wooden nickel. Yeah, Maybe his mother, but like apparently that. not a boatload of slaves. He looks like that. He just doesn't always do that. You know? Well, that's, you know, and that's, that's, but that's also like, that is a character that can be tricky if that's the way the new player wants to play, because it's really easy to see that character and not understand where the motivation is and where the moral motivation is there and why they do the things they do. They just seem random. Captain Jack Sparrow is actually not random at all. He just has motivations. He's not telling anyone. Well, I mean, I don't know. When he had the compass and it was turning around, the thing he desired most, and he couldn't make up his mind. I would That's trust him. He was as... in love, dude. That's why I, that was. I could trust crush. him as far as I could drink the Flying Dutchman. I mean, seriously. Yeah, he, he dude had a crush. That's what that was about. He had two things he wanted. The compass only works if you know exactly what you want, not if you want two All right, things. This, this, is, this is about as far afield as I think we could get. We're back in the alignment discussion, damn it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it pulls you in. It's like a gravity well. It is. It so, you know, another thing I wanted to talk about more than we have so far, teaching the mechanics. Because one of the things we have yeah. had with new players in our games is Players who go a long time and don't quite understand how the mechanics of their character, of their of their classes work or their races. So, what do you do to, to to teach them the game, teach them their stuff, and like do you have priorities around that as far as what you try to teach them first? I would say combat is the most critical. Throw them in a, in a nice soft combat scenario where everybody rolls initiative. You show how it's tracked. Then make some attacks with magic or melee weapons. Uh, show them what dice their weapons are using, and so forth and so on. Show them, you know, they're taking damage. Combat ends. I, I, I would really make that a tutorial, and if you're going to walk away with anything, I wouldn't worry about, I'm wearing plate mail, I want to jump on top of a table while playing an xylophone. No. Like, don't even try to think about that skill check or anything like that, but if you're going to walk away with something, how did combat work in that? Because that's such a huge dynamic of, of uh, 5e. Um, yeah, I, th it absolutely is. I mean, it, it kind of, that's the big fulcrum that everything is uh, is spinning around. So those mechanics are incredibly important. I would say, especially with new players, um, whether it's all new players or a couple new players at, at an existing table, I want them to give me the, I want to jump on the table and try to cut the rope and ride the chandelier up to the second level. I want them to do that. I don't, I, cause I want to, as Thorne said, I want to incentivize them thinking off of their sheet because all they're going to do is they're going to say, I'm going to say, what do you want to do? And hopefully they give some kind of answer and not just a deer in headlights, but they, they say, I want to try this or I want to do this. And then 
as the DM, I can finally do it because I can now ask for the roles and they don't give me the roles until I ask for them. Like that would be amazing as opposed to, you know, you have a lot of experienced players at the table and you walk in a room and they're all like, can I do it? I'm, I rolled an insight check. And I was like, you haven't, you haven't said anything yet. <laughs> what are you, you know what I mean? Like they're already, they already know the mechanics in that way. So, and by doing that, by saying, okay, I want you to roll me, you know, the D20 plus your athletics. I want you to roll me a, a deck saving throw, whatever it might be. When they hear that enough times, the majority of people, if they're paying attention, will start to pick up the mechanics because the mechanics are not wildly difficult. There's a lot of them. But, you know, the main thing is you roll this one die and you add something to it. You know, if we're talking 5e. So I think generally they will start to pick that up if they are uh, open to wanting to pick it up. Yeah, I mean, there's sort of two levels to it, right? There's the, you want them to learn the core mechanic, which is stated in the rule book, D20 plus modifier must exceed target number. You want them to yeah. get that. You want them to understand that that is, that is, you're going to ask them to do this to resolve situations that need a role, that basically are not automatic. And I, while I do think combat comes next, I'd also agree with Dave. I want to drive home at this point in the game, the players, that it's not just pushing the A button to attack. It is, what do you want to do? You can do anything you can think of. This is how we resolve it. So think think critically, what do you want to do in the situation? You want to try to talk someone into something? You want to try to jump up on the table and, and up onto the balcony out of combat? If I can get them thinking about what they want to achieve with an action, you're going to have a more dynamic game. In fact, uh, Call of Cthulhu, one of the interesting things in it, in combat, it says specifically, players should describe to you what they're trying to do, not just the role they want to make. So the player should tell you, I want to I, I want to pull my gun and shoot this guy and, and drop him. It shouldn't be a matter of, okay, I just take shots with my gun. It should be action-driven. It should be driven by what is it the character is trying to accomplish, and, we roll the, and then we roll the die to see if you did. So mm. I want to get that way of thinking in, if I can, because I want the players thinking off of the sheet. Like, I don't like it when the players are just treating this like a video game of, okay, I have this attack, I make this attack. Then I do want to get them into combat, and, and even all that might be taught in combat, and in combat, you want them to learn about initiative, about taking damage, just how those general mechanics work. Those are all fairly easy. You want to get some spells cast, too, because they get a little more complicated. So you want to start breaching some uh, spell mechanics, too. These new players are going to be new players for a while. So it's going to require a bunch of patience. Yeah. You know, it's like at work. How long is the new person at work new? They're new for a while. I mean, you can show them a bunch of things in the first day, and they're going to forget some things. And, you know, I would go with key takeaways. You understand what happens when you get the zero hit points. You would mm. like to try to avoid rolling ones, although a botch is always a clarity ensues. Things like that. You know, Thorne said in a previous podcast, we're talking about maybe you want to press a pie. Yes, you're new and you're a hero, but you're not the coolest thing in this world. Maybe right. you don't want to char challenge the barbarian chieftain to a duel this <laughs> session. <laughs> <laughs> and for more seasoned players, I think there that's a really structured in D&D. Like, you kind of understand, I'm a third-level fighter, maybe I shouldn't take a poke at that stone giant. But new players won't grasp that. That's going to be kind of something that you're going to have to you're gonna feel out as the DM and share with them in my description, giving them prompts like, hey, yeah. this, this particular figure is 16 feet tall, heavily muscled, and they basically have a club that looks like a telephone pole with railroad spikes nailed through it. And you're there with your short sword and your wooden buckler. Yeah. Uh, 
And if you still think that's a great idea, then, you know, that that's happening. But then I was going to ask, what is the stone giant doing in this scene? We've talked about this some before, too. I mean, it's a great point that you need to teach the players what they can and can't attack without getting killed, right? You need to teach them kind of what they should be afraid of still in the game, especially at low level. And I am a big fan of what you just described, what I, what I call the boundary encounter. You know, you can you can throw the dragon out there in the first session, and if they try to fight the dragon, the dragon's going to, like, just do something that puts them in their place without necessarily killing anyone, but they need to understand that you can't just run up and fight everything. It's like Skyrim's giant. Skyrim's mm. giants are way out of your class, and for a long time, if you attack them, they will knock you literally into orbit. Eventually, you get to be their level, and you come back and beat them up. That's that's a boundary encounter. That is, a, you know, it's a heat check. It's, no, you're not cool enough. You're not tall enough to ride this ride yet. Come back when you're a few levels higher. And I would definitely yeah. do things like that, you know? I also think, you know, the thing about them being new players is you do get a chance to mold how they think of the game. So that's that's why I come back to, to the, yeah. you want to make sure that they understand I'm not just playing off my sheet. This is a world I can interact with. It's a living world. I can do anything I can think of, and the DM's going to tell me how to adjudicate it. You know, you want them to learn that system. I want to do this thing. The DM is going to tell me how I can how how I can attempt to do it and whether or not it works or not. You know, I think you want to get them thinking that way to the best of your ability. What about you know getting them to learn their characters? I have definitely had problems, especially with characters that had spells. Yeah. Getting those players to getting new players playing characters with spells to learn and understand how their spells work and how to manage their choices. You know, that has definitely been something that's challenging for me. What do you guys do about that? Well, if you see a player that seems to be struggling with that, and I can certainly say that all of us have at one point, then I recommend reaching out to them and saying, you know, hey, by the way, your character can do this. That'd probably be pretty helpful. And, you know, like, you see that they're not using ability. I wrote in one article, like, friends don't let your friends uh, not use character abilities. <laughs> now, in lower level, this is completely understanding, too. Like, you know, your third level, you know, about the one barbarian power, you know, that that happens. It slips, it slips under the cracks. It's when that player is level nine that you're kind of side-eyeing them, and you're like, um, don't you get a deck save to take half damage? It's a fireball barbarian. I'm just asking. I'm not a barbarian here. I, I'm just curious. You know, this is like session 17. I've heard you say it before. So. <laughs> then, then, I've heard then, you then, mention then that in the past. You know where I think that comes up especially with players who, would, who, who approach leveling up as something that they're doing last second? Like the players, I think they need to look when they level up, they need to read what new stuff they got and pay attention to it and learn it. Because I have found like, like, I mean, we also talked about a character I had where the player, he was still doing like at will attacks in fourth edition when he had all the, you know. That was the best. Yeah. He had the long rest attacks, the short rest attacks, and he just kept doing his at will attack. It was okay, but really it was just that, you know, he didn't really think of it as a big deal that he got new stuff. Jazz. The players, Jazz. you do have to stress that leveling up gives you cool new stuff that you want to know how to use and is fun to play with. Yeah, the toys in the chest, right? Yeah, That's D&D. It's a big toy chest. Some of that, too, is uh, – some of it, too, I think, is we are constantly separating, you know, the wheat from the chaff, right? You're constantly – every time you introduce people to the game are – introducing people that will play it for the rest of their lives and introducing people that will never come back to this table ever again because what the fuck was that and you literally just spent four hours doing that you know and everything in between right so that's that's just kind of how it is you know uh i have noticed though like we talked about in some of our games some of the the players where they they just weren't getting the character weren't getting the character were still wildly invested in the game um, and 
the character understanding did come, you know, it just, it did take some time, but they were adding to the game and being invested and, and being rewarded in the game in ways that were, that meant something to them, you know, and I think that's important too, is not to put our own expectations of the game onto other people, which is like really, really hard, but, uh, but yeah, like, the, the, you know, they're playing the game that, that they want to play, you know, so. Well, it, it's kind of why, that's kind of why I brought it up as part of the kind of the teaching the mechanics aspect of things, because you're right. I mean, in some cases, the players who didn't know their, who didn't know their powers knew their characters very well and were very into the role playing and the story, what was going on. But if someone's paying that much attention, you know, you got to ask yourself, okay, why, like, what can I do to make them understand yeah. the mechanical side of things too? Yeah. Because, you know, in what that is a little bit was the, you know, they were kind of like almost not leveling up between sessions. They weren't really into that kind of stuff or they weren't doing it. Uh, this is what we talk about. You know, there's an article on the site. You know, what are what are the better what are the worst classes for new players and what are the best? One of the big things we hit in that is that you probably don't want new players choosing from a lot of spells because in many cases, new players aren't going to understand what they all do yet, which yeah. makes that a very hard decision to make. Now, that does not go for everybody. Plenty of new players play every kind of class and, and they like it. But I think you need to pay attention to, you know, what kind of class choices is this player going to enjoy making? And if they're going to have a more shallow character, like if they're going to be really, if they don't want to get deeper into the mechanics, well, then maybe Ranger, Druid, Wizard isn't best for them. Because those are characters that really reward getting deeper into the mechanics, knowing exactly what everything does, what exactly what all the spells do and stuff. With, uh, with Druid, you might have, how do I handle my animal transformations? With Ranger, you handle a pet. And if they don't understand how those things all work together, like it's really hard to 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 to, to have fun with that class because you're not using it stuff. Those kind of classes, you can have them run out for the first session if they're really keen on it. It's still requiring a lot of coaching. And if you know that coming into it, I guess it's okay. I, I actually, the one game you were with, uh, me and Magnesia Thorn, uh, one of the new players um, wanted to be a wizard. She really loved that idea. And I let her do it, of course. I'm like, hey, play whatever you want. But I will never forget, I'm sitting down and I actually try to do mechanical, you know, uh, demo on this. And I'm explaining all these rules. And I'm like, wow, there's a lot more to this than you just think. This is all super intuitive. <laughs> but, but circling around to one of our points earlier about, um, freedom in a session also i one of my favorite aspects to look at how i control a game is how often are we playing and if i'm playing every week go ahead go ahead look under the try to pry the stump up is there something under the <laughs> stump knock yourself out but if we only get six hours every four weeks to play you know i mean it really depends i understand dave's also correct don't put your expectations out there and make that the expectation remember it's having a great time role playing two scenes then fantastic. However, on the flip side as a player, I've been in, in games where people are just dicking around and it's yeah. like, oh my God, I am going to literally put a gun to the back of your head and be like, get out of this shop right now. <laughs> what? No, I'm getting somewhere with this person. Get out of the shop or get on your horse. Maybe it's a good I thing. I cracked the case finally with the merchant your head. Get out of the freaking is... shop. He's a, he's involved. I know it's a topic. Maybe it's no accident that Erasmus missed the game where the bard went and did a little concert in the bar, and and the warlock went and got a tattoo, and some other folks like went and communed with their gods. I would have hated that. You told you you missed the game that you would have liked. Separate scenes. It was nice. <laughs> yeah, you missed the game that you would have liked the least. 
<laughs> Perfect. So uh, we've been going on for a little bit. Why don't we uh, wrap up with some final thoughts about, you know, what are you trying to do and how do you approach bringing, you know, bringing new players into the game when you're DMing new players? One of the advantages of having new players is the fact that the whole universe is new to you. It's new to them, rather. So you anything in your tool chest, anything in your repertoire is brand spanking new to them out of the shrink wrap. You could use your best session one material if you want. And in this session, you want to hit a triple. I'm going to say, okay, inherently, these people have never played D&D before. They don't think about it. I want them to walk out of here. And if they're not going to come back to the session, go, you know what? I don't know if this is for me, but that was cool. But, I mean, in the first, out of the, all the times I think back where I've introduced it to everyone, they all came back. I mean, usually when, you know, people leave sessions and stuff, it's because of all kinds of different reasons, work and timing and kids and stuff. But you have a really cool opportunity to introduce somebody to something new that could be a real long-term hobby. So I really roll out, like, you know, the real premium stuff in the session, even if I'm keeping it simple. That's good. That's very well said, Tom, because, yeah, it's uh, everything is absolutely completely brand new it seems like oh my god did you just make that up that was amazing oh my god um, caliber like what's happening <laughs> yeah right yeah you can use every single trope you've ever utilized and it just seems magical hopefully right so like we talked about uh this is the first time that i'm gonna really be really 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 utilizing the session zero uh the way it's built so uh, i have some ideas as to that i'm hoping to uh, institute that crosstalk while they're character creating i think that's important because i think that will start to bring the party together and i'm hoping that uh that totally like you said that you you hit that big you know the one thing you can get through that session is something that's like Oh my God! Can you imagine? That was crazy. We fought off those goblins, and the, remember when you lit that thing on fire? And you know, hopefully those those um, those moments come out, which they usually do when when you're role playing. So uh, just giant. Why don't you tell me, like like what is your plan for them? My plan is so um so should I just give out uh, spoilers for Rhyme of the Frost? Well, hold people? on. Keep in mind this. You I think I don't think this is gonna run for two weeks. So if they're starting mm-hmm. like. This week, they yeah. won't hear this before you do this to them. So yeah, go ahead. yeah. I'm, I'm saying more for our listeners, you know. <laughs> so we're doing Rhyme of the Frostmaiden. You can decide to start your campaign in 10 towns, any of the 10 towns. Um, and they are all, uh, they all have their own quests and their own side quests. There's like 11 quests for a, a first, part, first level party. Unfortunately, the majority of them are all red cap incidents. Uh, seriously. Like, like, no, no, like you, guys know, you guys know all about the red cap citizens and we're we're literally taking first level party up against third level and, and cr3 and cr4 things and i'm just like oh my god like okay whatever so uh we are going to get together i am going to introduce the idea of icewind dale i'm going to do a little bit of a dramatic thing like i do i'm going to have the map out right so to try to kind of get that sense of like this you know the fantasy game then we're going to do character creation. I want to get crosstalk. I want to hopefully get them into classes that I think that they will get the most mileage out of. Like Thorin, you said, I think that article is a great thing because there are some classes that are phenomenal, but are a fucking nightmare if you're not familiar with the system. There's a lot of player work. The players got to yeah. want to do the work and you kind of, it's yeah. hard for, for it to know if first time players want to. 
And uh, we're starting in Bryn Shander, and I have the I have the the what I'm going to kind of set up to literally just immediately get them out onto an encounter, which is a crazy fucking encounter. It has like eight goblins and two polar bears and a fucking uh, a, uh, a a sled full of iron ingots that they have to get back. It's a ludicrous encounter, but I love it because I. It's what we were talking about. I'm hoping that these new people will look at this different than a lot of other experienced players would, where we just got a firepower. They're going to hopefully start thinking about, can I do this? Can I do that? Can I, you know, so. And that's what I'm hoping to get all in one session. That Simple. sounds cool, man. <laughs> a lot to get in. A lot to get it in. It's going to be a lot of fun. Indeed. This is a big experiment right now. My session zero experiment. Well, it sounds like that's going to work. I think it's going to be good. Uh, my final thoughts. Um, you know, I really do like teaching new players to play the game. One of the reasons I like it is you, you get a chance to really kind of show them, well, teach them, train them, essentially. As, as, as weird as that might sound. You get to kind of, you know, introduce them to the kind of role-playing game you think it can be. And to really get to, 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 to get them thinking in different ways about the game. Whereas, you know, if you, you know, sometimes players get very focused on combat. But if you can get your players, new players, thinking about, well, you can do anything in this world. What do you want to do? What do you want to try? And you can get them thinking lightly like that and kind of with a little more agility as far as how to think about the world. You can have a lot of fun with new players. You know, it's important to teach them the mechanics, important to get them in classes they're going to like, uh, important to get a feel for what they want to do with those classes. Because usually mm. when a player makes a character, and if you listen, you're going to pick up things they want that character to do and what they like about that character and how they're going to approach it. That informs a lot of what you want to do with that player throughout the game. So, you know, pay attention to that and try to pick up on, okay, because it'll be, yeah, it might be like a, you know, a dwarf fighter, but if you listen, you'll get a really much stronger point of view of, okay, it's a dwarf fighter, but he's a fighter because he wants to go find out what happened to his father or, or he wants to go prove himself or, you know, what are these motivations that are going to drive this really the player playing the character, not just the character motivations, but what does the player want to enjoy in the game that you can kind of mm. put in there and have a good time with? So, you know, you try to get him. I really try to get across that, you know, it's an open world. You can do whatever you want that you have more freedom than in any video game you've ever played. I really do want to make that point to the players. I want to get them in a character they like. I want to get them learning how the game works. I want to get them excited about the stuff they can unlock and find and get and that kind of thing. Because I think advancement in that toy chest aspect of D&D is really important. And I want to have a good time. And I want to get them in at least one fight before the session's over. At least one fight before your first session's over. You got to, you got to, uh, you know, got to draw some blood somewhere. Yeah, I think if uh, if it doesn't work with my encounter that I have, then I think I'm just gonna have like some ghoul just walking through the town and just fucking attack him or something. Like just just a ghoul walking, like like an extra from Michael Jackson's Thriller. Walking it just drops it like. Vincent Price's voice would be perfect. <laughs> All right, guys. It was a good time. Absolutely. Thank you all for listening at home. We really appreciate the support you've all given us. If you're listening on a podcast platform, please hit that five-star rating button. Uh, leave a good review. Share it with your friends if you like what we've done here. We're, uh, we really appreciate all the support we've gotten so far, and all that stuff really does help us grow and expand the brand. 
Now, this session, this particular episode did not come from a listener question, but if you have a question, we would love to hear it. You can add it in the What's Your Problem field on our website. That's 3wisedms.com. You can send us an email at 3wisedms at gmail.com, or you can visit us on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram. We're very active in all those places, and we'll see questions we ask there. We'll see you next time on 3 Wise DMs. Thank you.